Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. We're doing a sermon series on the letter of Apostle Paul to the Thessalonians. Um, we're pretty much, chapter 5 is the last, of the, um, is the last chapter. Um, and as, so kind of like, firstly, I want to introduce a little bit where this letter comes from. Um, I've got a map. Who likes maps? Yeah. I love maps, yeah. Can we have the map up, actually, so you can have a, lo- a longer look at it? It's great. So we know from Acts, actually, that Paul, on his second missionary journey, um, made this incredible, like, what, do you, what would you call it, a city trip? Like, what would we call it today? Road trip. What? A railing. Interrailing, yeah. I think, I think he walked, though, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, anyway, we're... All the way up there, you can see Philippi, and then on the left, Thessalonica. And we know from Acts that this is where Paul went to and spread the gospel. And at Thessalonica, um, the response was a bit mixed. So on the one hand, some of the Jews, he went first to the synagogue, some of the Jews gave their life to Jesus, along with many of the devout Greeks, and interestingly, some of the leading women. It specifically um, like points it out in, in Acts. And um, on the other hand, though, there were, most of the Jews were actually very much opposed to Paul's message, and they started accusing him. And so much sooner than they would have liked, they had to leave Thessalonica. So they only spent about, probably only about three weeks teaching there, and then Paul, together with Silas and Timothy, who were with, them, who were with, who were with him, went on to, you see there, Berea, Athens, Corinth, and on the way... Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to get news, to get a, uh, an update, and at the same time to encourage the believers. So on the way, he, Timothy goes back, Paul continues, and when, by the time he's in Corinth, he has faced so much opposition wherever he went that he, it says actually that he was beginning his preaching there in weakness and fear and much trembling. And now we know from Acts that this is also where Timothy meets him again. So he comes and meets them again in Corinth and gives him a really good report about Thessalonica, about the Thessalonians, which encourages Paul a lot. Like you can imagine, right? He's, he's faced so much opposition. Um, and this is the very reason that Paul writes his letter to, to the Thessalonians. And this is also why, as we've seen in the, in the series so far, the first three chapters are full of Paul's love you know, overflowing towards the Thessalonians. It's a lot of deep appreciation and affection. And the, the chapter 4 and chapter 5 are a bit more meaty. There's a bit, of, um, a bit more, so that's actually where we are today as well. So last week we had Steph preaching to us about the last section of chapter 4, which was about the return of Jesus. Um, and so we know that the Thessalonians had learned about the return of Jesus, right? So that, this was a big, a big theme. Even though Paul spent only a short amount of time there, he thought the return of Jesus was very much a relevant theme to, to instruct them on. Um, and so they, Steph kind of taught us last week that they were a bit worried that in the meanwhile, some of their brothers and sisters who were in Thessalonica had passed away. And they very much, it, it kind of looks like they were expecting Jesus to return very soon in their lifetime. And so they were a bit worried. So what about these people who had passed away? Would they be joining them? Um, what, would they be left out? What, what would happen with them? And then we know that Paul reassured them and, and said that those who were awake, that is, alive, 
will meet those, will be caught up together with those who had fallen asleep, that is, had died and passed away, and um, will always be with the Lord. Very encouraging, right? Beautiful, beautiful passage. Um, so the passage today follows on right from that. So we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians um, 5, the first 11 verses. I'm just going to get some water. Ooh. Okay, I'll just read from from verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need of anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light. Children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, again, alive or, or dead or passed away, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So we see here that from those who have died, the, kind of shift, the focus shifts a bit towards um, those who are alive, the addressees of the letter. Um, and they were, they were kind of wondering, how do, we, how do we anticipate the coming of the Lord? How do we behave ourselves? How do we conduct ourselves? Um, and a few weeks ago, we had already learned, I mean, Rich was preaching to us about work and vocation. And we learned that some of them actually, they, they left their jobs. They gave up their jobs and were, and were kind of like, oh, Jesus is coming back. We don't need to work anymore. Surely there's more important stuff to do. Um, and so it's clearly something that they are really thinking about, and they're acting on, on it, but also in a slightly unhelpful way. They became a burden to their brothers and sisters. So Paul at that time told them, continue working, provide for yourself, because you do not know when it will happen. Um, and I think this is, all, this is what makes this passage deeply relevant to us today, because in some ways, all those who have, well, not in some ways, certainly, all those who the, the letter was addressed to have passed away. So they have now joined with the faithful departed, and they will, they will be um, there when Jesus will come back, and we will meet them. But we are alive, so we are in the same position as the Thessalonians were back then. Um, and I've got, I found a really helpful um, little picture uh, to kind of make sense of where we are. Uh, this I found in a, in a commentary, I forgot the, the name, but uh, I think it's, it's really helpful and clear. So we find ourselves in this overlap of these different periods, right? So on the one hand, the previous old epoch of sin, which will come to an end only when Jesus will come back again with his second coming. And at the, and at the same time, Jesus' first coming has already been, and he has introduced to us the coming of the new kingdom. So we're in this overlap. There's a lingering night of sin and the dawn of a new day of the kingdom of God, Okay. So I'm just going to preach through the text. Oh, that's it. <laughs> I've got some errors. They will come back later. Don't worry. <laughs> Thanks, Lauren. <laughs> I 
parts. <laughs> so we, there's three parts um, to, the, to, to this text which I, I would like to share with you. So the first one, part one, is that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. I love it every time I have a break. <laughs> mm. So in the, three, in the first three verses, we heard that now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So two questions. One is, what is the day of the Lord? And the second is, when will it come? So first, what is the day of the Lord? I think Paul here brings together two really big biblical themes about thinking about the last day, okay? The first one we're very, very familiar with, especially after last week, is the coming back of Jesus. The fact that we will be caught up with him and that when he comes, we will be in an instant, we will be transformed and we'll become more and more like him. And it's, um, it's a very glorious thing where we sang last week to each other. Remember how we encourage each other about this day coming? Um, so we desire this, am I right? We really deeply desire it. But Paul also talks here, he uses the phrase, the day of the Lord, and this is an old Testament notion, has a very, very, has a lot of baggage. So listen to how prophet Amos describes it. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? It's almost the exact opposite, isn't it? It's not something to look forward to and to, to desire. Um, so I, I hear you think, what's this about? So how, how can Paul bring these two things together? I think that Paul, to Paul, these two are very much two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, they reflect the endless mercy of God through his son who came and died for us. On the other hand, it is his perfect justice and his anger towards sin and wickedness. It's a day of salvation and it's a day of judgment. Okay? Second question, when does the day come? Now we need back the, um, the, the, the slide. In, yeah, the arrow. Let's do the arrows. We're either here, or we're here, or we're here. The short message is, we don't know for sure, okay? That's really important to realize. Paul here talks about times and seasons, and what is he convinced that they are fully aware of? That the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. It will come suddenly and unexpectedly. So the one thing we know sure about the when question is, we don't. It's really important. So imagine you, you somehow know um, that a thief will come in, like, and, and burgle you in your house, right? And some point in the night, he will come. What will you do? <laughs> stay awake. Stay awake, exactly. Um, would you still stay awake if you knew he was coming like, you know, around 6 or 7 a.m.? You would probably get, get a bit of sleep in. I don't know how, how, how easy you are, but <laughs> I don't think I could sleep, to be honest. It's a little bit like when you have, um, you know, you have a delivery waiting. You, you've ordered something really nice. You know, you, you're really looking forward to something. And the delivery slot is given to you, right? It's between 4 and 6 um, p.m. What will you do during that time? It's really hard, I think, to be doing anything else. 
I don't know about you, but I am like that. When I'm sitting by the, the window and I try to look at the door, and my ear is very attuned to the, the doorbell ringing, but I'm like, what, what am I? I'm watching, right? I'm expecting it to come. So I think Paul is here basically telling us that the assigned time slot for Jesus' coming back is right now. And it's precisely the fact that we don't know exactly when that makes us watchful, right? So it's really, I think this is, this is very important. So, um, and I think unlike, you know, um, your, I don't know about your experiences, but you know when we have a Tesco delivery slot and it will, only, it will, it will always come a bit later, you know, whatever. <laughs> Jesus will not miss his slot. That's really, you know, it's just how it is. So let me read to you a bunch of words from Jesus himself um, where he kind of brings together these two themes. On the one hand, that you don't know when it will happen. On the other hand, that you have to stay awake and watchful. Matthew 24, verse 42. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night a thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 25, just a chapter later. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Luke 12, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And the last one, and this is really extraordinary, I'm trying to get, wrap my head around it, but Mark 13, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake for you do not know when the time will come. So you see, every time we're reminded that he will come and that we don't know when he will come, we're also reminded to be watchful, on guard, awake, ready. Part two, you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. So verse three, we'll read again. So while people are saying there's peace and security, and sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are in darkness, you are not in darkness, brothers, for, you, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So notice the distinction here that, that Paul is drawing between they and you. So there's a, a switch between verse 3 and 4. They, the people who are saying peace and security and sudden destruction will come upon them, they who do not expect the day to come, and you who are not of the darkness, and therefore that they will not surprise you as a thief. And then later on, actually in the last bit of verse 4, it says, um, let me find it. Oh, verse 5. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So what you see Paul doing is he's slowly identifying himself with the Thessalonians. He can't help it. I think this is a real deep sign of love and affection. I think that's really beautiful. Um, but so Paul draws this distinction between those who are of the night and those who are of the day. And what they have in common, really important to realize, is that they, neither of them knows exactly when the day will come, right? To all of them, it will come like a thief in the night. The difference is in their anticipation, in their expectation, that the day will come, okay? And that they know the one who is coming, 
Those who do not put their trust in Jesus will not just be overtaken and surprised by that day. They will be destroyed by it. It's really like heavy stuff, right? So how does it make you, make you feel? And actually in, in verse 3, the last bit, they will not escape. The Greek has a double negative. So it's not, not just that they will not escape. It says they will certainly not or by no means escape. So how, how does that make you feel? <laughs> Do you think that's fair? Here's the thing. I think in some ways this, this applies, and we should remember, to all of us. In, in the sense that in, in Romans 3 it says, There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Propitiation, fancy word, means reconciliation between man and God through the shedding of blood, appeasing of God's wrath towards sin. Why? So that he might, he might be, God might be the just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. See, we're all in that position. We're all in and of ourselves will come to nothing when that day will come if we hadn't known Jesus, if we don't know Jesus, okay? And to those who, who have given, that, uh, given their faith to Jesus, their trust and put their, put their trust in Jesus, Paul says, but you, brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. And I think there's kind of two sides to this, and the first is, is by far the most important. Um, but that day will not surprise or overtake us as a thief because we know the one who comes. Okay, So we might not know exactly when he comes, but we know the one who comes. And so when he comes, we will recognize him as the one we've sung songs to, as the one we've been praying to, as the one we've spent so many of our mornings with, you know, just seeking his, 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 his face. It's, it's as uh, Jesus himself said, the, hear, the, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all of all of when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Secondly, we're not entirely in the dark as to when it will happen, because the Bible gives us a lot of signs, events, things to look out for, to discern. And this is where theologians go all sorts of directions, when it will happen exactly, how is the, what's the relationship between Jesus coming back and like the great tribulation and the millennium, the thousand year. It's, there's a lot of stuff on this. I'm not going to go into it today. Um, you have to ask Steph. Um, <laughs> but one of, a couple of the, of the events that the Bible calls is the gospel will be preached to all nations in all languages. There'll be famines, earthquakes, wars and rumors of wars, a great tribulation in short. There'll be false prophets with signs and wonders. The sun and moon will go dark and the stars will fall from heaven. The Bible also talks about a man of lawlessness or the, the Antichrist. Um, and even Paul in Romans 11, he talks about before the day will come, there will be a, a kind of ingathering amongst the, the Jews, amongst Israel, people giving, lots of them giving their, their, um, their, faith, their um, hearts to Jesus. So we don't, we don't know exactly when, and there are signs and seasons to be interpreted and discerned. So how do we do this, right? So um, when we do this, when we discern, it's vital to keep in mind the very first point that I pointed out. We're looking forward to Jesus' coming back. So there's two dangers here. You can either go 
get completely caught up in, in the signs and seasons, and you miss completely that it's Jesus you're waiting for. Okay? On the other hand, the Bible also warns us against being completely complacent about this, about ignoring it. Peter is very clear when he says, take very seriously the prophecies that the, of the prophets of old, talking about the day coming. So it's a bit of a, you want to find a balance. Jesus first, and through Jesus being watchful about the time to come. So now we know all this, so let's get a bit more um, to application, part three. Um, because Paul here, in verse six, he has this beautiful phrase, he says, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So then, araun in Greek, it means a very strong logical kind of consequence. So there's, in light of the foregoing, in light of everything we've just heard, therefore we are going to do this, if that makes sense. So he says, so then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. So I think that there is, um, uh, let's, actually let's first read on a little bit, it's helpful I think. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. So what do we do? How do we stay awake and sober? What's that mean? Like, what does that look like? Um, when I was preparing, I felt to talk a little bit, to kind of talk a bit about preparedness. So preparation, being prepared, firstly. Then about being watchful. How are we being watchful and what do we need to be watchful of? And lastly, what does it mean to be sober? Because there's quite a strong distinction here between awake and asleep and sober and drunk. So it's a strong contrast. So first, so we, I think you're all familiar with the story of um, the parable of the ten virgins coming. They're, they're all waiting for the bridegroom to come back. And this is a story that Jesus told. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. And they're all waiting because they are to join the party. And they've got these lamps. And it's really interestingly, it's really interesting because all of them actually fall asleep. And it says that the Bible has five of them, they had the oil in their pockets. They were ready, prepared, and five of them didn't. So when, they, when the bridegroom was delayed and they all fell asleep, by midnight, they were, all of a sudden there was a call, and all of them woke up. And the five wise virgins, they were like, we've got oil, let's trim our lamps, and let's have our lamps ready so we can go. And the five foolish ones are like, what do I do? What do I do with, with my lamp? I can't trim it. So they go... And ask the wise ones, and they say, please give us some of your oil. And they're like, sorry, if we do that, we don't have enough for all of us. So none of us will have enough. And I think this is really, so a while ago, we were at, um, just a couple of weeks ago, we were at um, uh, Jubilee Plus, so a conference. Um, and there was a, a, an incredible sermon by a guy called uh, Tope Colioso um, from a Jubilee Church, I think, in Enfield. And he, he, used this, he used this story, the parable, to talk about um, our time spent with God. So preparedness to him, like it was a really 
fascinating. Like I, I, I really loved it. Preparedness was all about spending time with God, getting to know his voice. And the oil, often seen as a picture of the Holy Spirit, is something that we cultivate in our quiet times. That's where we get our resources. Uh, that's, where, that's where all the action... And I think of all three, this is the most important one. We spend time with the Holy Spirit, with Jesus, in our you know, one-on-one quiet times. Um, this is where everything starts. And, and he kind of used this picture as the lamp is kind of your, your ministry. Obviously, you are, you are shining a light. We're not just all ministers, but we all have a light. We are the light, right? The flame is like the passion that keeps it going, and the oil is feeding the flame. So the Holy Spirit is feeding the flame. And I love the, I love the picture. So and he, he, he even sung this song, um, I think you will know. So, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I think this is what is, is getting to the heart of being prepared. This attitude, this posture in our heart, when you wake up, spend some time with Jesus. Tell him that you love him. Thank, you, thank him that he's watched over you as you slept. And just, you don't have to start with all kinds of complex stuff. Just thank him for who he is. Okay? Secondly, watchful. Let's be watchful. So I don't know how many of you are familiar with this book. There's, a, there's actually, um, this is called The Christian in Complete Armor by William Gurnall. It's a Puritan um, writer, so it's a very old, old book. There's three of them, so there's a three-volume thing. Um, and it's a really, really help. It's all about like the armor of God. How do we, you know, how do we, how do we prepare for battle? And what is it like to live a Christian life in a, in a, in a reality of warfare? Because there's the enemy against us, and we are, you know, God's representatives. So, um, and he has this very helpful way of, of, of talking about being watchful. Um, so I think biblically, watchfulness is in the first place about your heart. Guard your heart above all things, for from it flow the springs of life, the Bible says. And he, he, he talks about it in three parts. He says you need to watch yourself continuously. When you, when you have encountered, like I, okay, just a little bit of a personal story. So I used to date someone, and I made all the mistakes I, I could have in that in that period. And I remember coming out of it and just, like, I was changed and, and God really um, met, met me in his grace. But then afterwards, I was like, I was really acutely aware, right? I was on guard because this has all just happened to me. But after time went on and the more time passed, I, I felt like my guard was getting lower again. You know, it's slackening a little bit. I, I went, I turned a bit lazy. And I think this is where he's he's getting at. Continuously watch yourself. Know what kind of season you're in. What are your weaknesses? Watch yourself also universally. I really love this one because he says it's not just in the big momentary things that you have to watch yourself, but it's also in the small little moments of the day. So, you know, when when you're in traffic and, you know, someone like bumps into you and it's there for you and you get really angry, right? You can have this burst of anger. Um, I think those moments are actually little, little victories where the enemy can really like, have a little, little thing against you, you know? So you have to watch yourself continuously even in those little moments. So I, I often get really angry with myself if I do something wrong. 
if I'm not entirely right about something. I can, I can actually, like, if I'm on my own and I break, I don't know, a cup in the kitchen, I can, I can swear at myself, you know? I can, and so I'm realizing that like, I need to really be careful with that because it's, what am I saying to myself? It's crazy. Like, watch yourself all the time, wherever. Or, you know, to, to have little lies to make other people feel, feel better about you. You know, you make, you make something up. Or, or you make something sound just that much better because other people might look at you in a, in a better light. Similar thing. So all those little things are opportunities for the enemy to get in and, you know, win a little victory over you, okay? Then lastly, you have to watch yourself wisely. So all of this being true continuously, universally, you also there's things to prioritize in watching your heart. And um, from the book, quote, um, there's this question which I think is really, really striking. He said it in his time, but I think it's very much applicable to our time. Was there ever less love, compassion, self-denial, or power of holiness than today? So these are the core bits that we need to be really prioritizing when we watch ourselves, right? So love, compassion, self-denial, power of holiness. Okay, last one, sober. So I was, when I was preparing this, this really old Dutch phrase came to mind. It's like a really old translation of Ephesians 4 verse 20. I'll say it and you're going to try it, okay? It's maar gij geheel anders. Can you say that? <laughs> yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Maar gij geheel anders. It translates to something like, but you all together differently, and the verse continues, have learned Christ. Let me read it to you in context. I think it gets to the, abs- to the, to the like, core of what it means to be sober, okay? Ephesians 4 verse 17, if you want to read along. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Here it comes. But that is not the way you learned Christ. But altogether differently, you've learned Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. In short, put on the new self. And that's why I think Paul in the, in the verse goes into the breastplate of love and faith and the helmet of salvation. We know that he loved this, this, this imagery of the armor. Um, you see the same in Ephesians. I actually think that where he takes it from is there's an Old Testament passage in Isaiah 59 where God is portrayed to have the breastplate of righteousness and a, and a helmet of salvation. So it's basically, I think he's saying to us, dress yourself as God dresses himself. Be ready for battle. Be ready to slay your sin, right? So, and, it, and it's important. You have to guard your heart above all things, right? The breastplate is in front of your, your heart. And here in this verse, in the, in the Ephesians one, which I just read, 
It's the renewal of your mind. Be careful where, where the battles are. These are um, really important areas. Okay, so um, all of this, really interestingly, there's a final verse here, of course, therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And we always, we can get really, even the way I just spoke to you, we can get really individual when it comes to, you know, watching ourselves, watching the times, watching what's going on. Um, the whole verse, this whole section, Paul is talking in the plural. So it's you, be watchful, together. We, being all together differently, we need to be watchful of ourselves and guard our own hearts, right? So it's constantly this plural notion. I think this is getting to something absolutely important. You can't be watchful, awake, sober, on your own. You will at some point stumble. I, um, like a, uh, many years ago, I got, um, it's, the, it's the very first picture I think God ever gave me. Um, and in the picture, I saw this really strong buffalo. And the buffalo was in a field um, by, by himself. And there was this troop of, of wolves after the buffalo. The buffalo was a strong buffalo. Don't get me wrong. He was really, really strong. And the, and the wolves kept chasing. And the, and the buffalo kept going. And it took a long time, but they got him eventually in the end. See, buffaloes are only, they're safe when they're in a, in a herd, when they're together in a big group, okay? So I think at the time I felt God really saying to me, I, I was without a church at the time. I didn't have my own family. Um, and I felt like God was clearly saying, you need to find fellow believers. Like, it doesn't really matter how strong you are. You could be, you know, super buff, <laughs> But you will be taken down if, if you're on your own, okay? Um, so I would just really encourage you um, to really build each other up, encourage each other. Do this in, in running partners. Really, is a really good, good place to do this in GCs. Um, let us stir each other up.